Welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each episode we pick a film, we review it, we talk about our reactions to it and discuss some of the uh, themes and ideas that it throws up. And we'll always end with uh, recommendations of further reading inspired by the actors or themes or directors we're looking at this week. Before we get into the movie proper, we'd like to have a catch up on what else we've been watching this last week. Sam, what else have you been perusing? Right, um, I have two things, neither of which are films. Um, but the first thing I want to say is that um, I recommended Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast um, a few weeks ago. You and did? almost instantly regretted it because I, I then listened to an episode and thought... Yeah, I've just remembered why I stopped listening. Um, but I found a, a way through that. I I quite enjoyed an episode recently, a part of an episode which included something that I had seen myself. And it was quite nice to have sort of alternative opinions on something that I had watched or that I had consumed pop culture-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I deleted the rest of the episode because it was talking about something I didn't know anything about. And I found that quite liberating. I find it... I tend to be quite completist about the podcast that I listen to. So if I'm subscribed to a podcast, I feel the need to listen to everything there. Um, but I found with Pop Culture, yeah, the way for me to do it is to give myself licence to delete things I'm not interested in. So that that's my hack for getting around pop culture happy and, and sniping this. Fair enough. Um, and the second thing was um, I sampled something that you recommended a few weeks and months ago. It's the box set Designated Survivor. Um, Keith Sutherland, um, it's sort of a West Wing meets House of Cards, only from the pilot episode he seems to be the antithesis of Frank Underwood morally um, and it, it was just quite enjoyable I'm not sure it was enjoyable enough to watch the whole thing but it was it was was well worth watching the, the pilot certainly mm. it's, it's a good series it isn't, it isn't as good as The West Wing or um, House of Cards but it's no. certainly an, an enjoyable distraction shall we say yeah Fair enough. Fair enough. What about you? Well, I've actually decided to embrace watching movies. Um, and with my newborn, I have a lot of downtime sitting with her while she sleeps or feeding her. So I can't really watch new movies. I can't really sort of seek out new things because it's so distracting. But I can embrace old movies, ones I've seen and loved and can revisit. And the only follow me on Twitter will know that I've been wading into some of these things. And the one that I caught up with earlier this week, um, with the Bank Holiday Weekend, was the 2004 film... The Perfect Score. Now, this film isn't massively well-known, to be honest, um, but it really kind of should be. It stars Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans of Marvel fame. It's also got support from Eric Christensen. Um, it's got support from Leonard Nam, um, Brian Greenberg. It's essentially a high school heist movie. They try and steal the SAT results. Um, so they can pass the SAT and go off to the colleges of their choice. Um, it's just really fun, basically. Um, you've got Scarlett Hansen playing against type. Uh, she's very much sort of the rebellious 
um, sarcastic kid. Chris Evans is playing very much intertype as the uh, good-looking kid who uh, sort of leads is the leader of the group. It's funny. It's I I always enjoy a heist movie. Um, and apparently a heist movie that isn't is a different genre. So a sci-fi mm. heist movie, and in this case, a high school teen comedy heist movie. So yeah, it, it, I, I saw it many years ago, really liked it, and I thought I'd re-embrace it. But uh, it, it isn't often seen, so I thought I'd uh, just fly the flag for it a little bit. Okay. Perfect score. But this week, guys, we are continuing on with our latest franchise, uh, that of, of, of the Batverse franchise and this week we are diving into the second film batman returns i've been down here too long it's time for me to ascend from the sewers of gotham a new villain emerges of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. I am Catwoman. Batman Returns essentially picks up where the first film left off. Mark Eaton returns as Batman and Bruce Wayne, and whilst Vicky Vale has gone and a lot of the characters in the first film have gone, we still have the continuation of the same Alfred, the same Mayor. But into this steps a few new players. You have Danny DeVito, who plays a very memorable penguin, or Oswald Corpot, as he is uh, known for some of it. Michelle Pfeiffer steps up and becomes Catwoman, um, or Selina Kyle. And Christopher Walken plays a typically eccentric Max Shrek, a local businessman, and industrialist, and philanthropist, and all-round bad person. The once again... It features sort of Batman battling against various costumed bad guys. Um, and that's probably all we really need to know in terms of the synopsis. So Sam, having raved or certainly given a hearty recommendation to Batman last week, how do you feel that the return in Batman Returns went? I really enjoyed this. And I think this is, I mean, you can count on the fingers in one hand movie sequels which are up there with if not better than the original I mean I mean suppose Empire Strikes Back and the Raid 2 is brilliant and then I'm struggling and we talked about this the very first episode we did but back in the Mr. Turn we talked about the Avengers sequel and um, I thought this was a brilliant sequel um, and it surprised me actually that I, I realised that I hadn't seen it um, I have seen, I mean, seen, seen the first Batman. I have seen one, possibly two of the later ones, um, and I missed out on this one, which is a real shame because this is so clever, and it's much darker than I expected. Um, the Selina Kyle sections, especially the early ones, are incredibly dark. You have Selina Kyle basically turning into a zombie cat and you I mean we will 
we will look later in the franchise will look at Anna Hathaway's portrayal of Selena Carr. And, I mean, that's the only portrayal of Catwoman I have seen, given that I missed out on this. Um, I mean... I mean, it, it was astonishing how how different she was um, mm-hmm. to the the later incarnation, of that. Um, and I I really enjoyed about it, this. I enjoyed the um, the opening sort of action scene, and then really, it's too often the case in sort of certainly modern films that you have an an action scene at the beginning which is great and then it sort of loses its way a bit. I would point at something like Spectre we looked at recently um, in the last year or so where you have a great action sequence at the beginning and then it feels like the film kind of loses its way a bit after that. Um, And this wasn't the case for this at all. It had an action scene at the beginning and then it just kept up the tension with the Selena Carl narrative and also with Christopher Walken and the idea that... So we'll, we'll look at this later on, uh, this theory about Walken's role in the movie. Um, it's just... Yeah, I go back to this idea of it, it being really clever. It's It's not really like a conventional film narrative. Because it felt that in in the conventional film narrative there might be something hidden, but it was perfectly clear to another character. And in this case, it felt like in in some way the audience was kept in the dark along with Batman. And it, it didn't and when when you found out what was going on, it wasn't really clear what was going on at all. It was the idea that there's a mystery there, but you're not really sure who who was in charge of that mystery who was who was in control of this um and this goes goes back to um the Matt Shrek character um but yes I won't, won't say much more about that at the moment but yes I really enjoyed it what are your thoughts Rob? As, uh, for, for podcast listeners that was a a classic four minute speech from Sam there <laughs> um that uh yeah that was a a, a top work Sam I didn't quite have the reaction that you had to this film. Okay. Um, now, I, I enjoyed this film, but we are straying dangerously close to the reasons why I don't enjoy Tim Burton as a director. Right. The stylistic elements of this film were getting overloaded. Whereas in the first one, it felt like, I don't know, it felt real and tangible to the world. Um. This film features a final scene in which we have brainwashed penguins with rockets strapped to their backs, charging through Gotham. Mm. Uh, we have gone beyond the, the, the pale of a, of a Batman film here. And we're just into Tim Burton-esque whimsy. Uh, and I don't mean that in a good way. I will say I think that DeVito turns in certainly one of the most memorable bad guys of the series. And Catwoman, once again, does double duty on that. I think we once again reach into the problem we had with the first film in which Batman is the least interesting character in his own film. Mm. Um, Keaton is a charismatic actor, no doubt, but there's no depth or growth there. He essentially has exactly the same arc he does in the first film, in which he fights crime and falls in love with a blonde lady. Um, 
and it, there isn't anything more going on there at all. So I, I I struggle with these films, and we will touch on this far more when we get into the Nolan films. That I think they do Batman himself a disservice, and they don't do anything what to, to to sort of give him a character growth or a character arc. Walken's always good value; he's always worth watching, but I think that his character was in many ways a misstep um, and a bit of a, a muddied water. And I suppose what you class as mystery, and I can certainly see that reading of it, I just see as a mess. Right then, I will I will put to you my my theory about this film then, which is, I mean, it it touches on it centers around the Walken's character there. Um, this with the name Shrek interests me, um, and having known that it was used for a monster in Disney, and then it was used again here, I thought about going back to the meaning of it and. And I was right, it comes from the German for fright or terror. So someone called Shrek is effectively a monster. And this made me think about the Max Shrek character and this idea that, I mean, you see it as a misstep. I, I can see how he is sort of a complicating factor in this, this Batman-Penguin relationship. But I thought... It was it was really interesting how Max Shrek at points seemed to be the real villain. Because Cobblepot was presented as having had real hardships enacted on him and being pressurised by a traumatic situation and that leads to mental overload, that leads to insanity, that leads to and this is where you get the burdenesque flights of fancy, and I see what you mean—the the ridiculous elements, um, with the the rocket strapped to penguins, um, and then you have Selena Kyle, who is also is also technically a bad guy, but she is put into she's she's put under pressure by her creation by Max Shrek, and then also her relationship with him. And it just felt to me that those, they they were lesser villains, and they were not. They were, you you could understand why they were how they were, and Max Shrek was the epitome of someone who is a true monster. So for all that Danny DeVito kept saying, "I'm a monster, I'm a monster," he he's not a monster at all. He is just created by this particular situation he has society working against him and Max Shrek seems to be the real villain and this is the the symbol of society that this is the thing that that Batman historically has to deal with and it's not necessarily always about fighting the villains it's about fighting the society that creates the villains so that's why I thought that that was the character was really interesting I, I I can see you saying I would add a couple of things to that. Mm-hmm. One, Max Schreck is also the name of an act, a German actor from the 30s. Right. Uh, infamous for playing vampires in, in the classic film Nosferatu. So ah. I don't know how that plays into it, obviously, with the, the bat vampire reference there, but uh, I do think that was an interesting link uh, in the 20s and 30s. I see what you're saying. Um, I can see what you're saying in terms of Schreck's character. I suppose for me, it felt... 
it was this is why I think it was a confused character because you have that streak that you're talking about um, of him being the true villain of the piece, but at the same time, he's clearly he, at the end he sacrifices himself for his own son. Mm. And when you get into that final scene with the penguin and um, him in a cage, you, like, the film's trying to make you feel sorry for Shrek a little bit. Um, you know, he is trapped with this psychotic penguin beast, and I think it's. I feel I suppose I, 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 I can try to say this. I can see what you're saying with it, but I felt they didn't have the courage of their convictions. Mm. Uh, the, 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 the Shrek who seems evil and you know he kills um selena kyle and he's clearly an unpleasant man but at the end they kind of they kind of chicken out and making him the real bad guy and make the penguin the real bad guy yeah that and that did feel i I didn't like the way they did that it's all well the way the way that the Burton does that. It's almost back to what he does with the Joker. He just makes it into a nice tidy ending mm. and does the same thing here. If you, there's one bad guy for you to focus all your, it's sort of it's sort of like a, an easy cathartic ending to to I suppose this drama that you see play out on screen. Now I, I I've got a companion theory to your theory. Mm-hmm. A side theory that I'm going to run with now. And okay. I think this film has something interesting to say about gender and feminism and sexism. And I think they, in the, in the first film, we talked about the relationship between Batman and the Joker. And I think here, the relationship that is key and integral to this, this theory of mine is Catwoman-Penguin. Right. Now, obviously, I think it's it's not hard to look at the Catwoman character and see that the transformation there as a feminist reading of that character, that she goes from being a very dour, very, very quiet, very shy, very meek um, character, whose apartment is almost entirely pink, um, almost symbolising sort of a traditional femininity, mm. um, for want of a better word. I apologise, I am not a, 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 a scholar here, so I will use the wrong words because I'm not sure. But she's representing that traditional women should be seen and not heard view. She has this empowerment moment in which she embraces her sexuality as the cat. She embraces her brand of powerful femininity. Um, Her her sort of her becoming a superhero slash villain doesn't involve her giving up her femininity. So you've got her on one side. Mm. Flips onto that, you've got Penguin, who... You could take a reading of of mis, of misogyny and sort of male, I don't know, male privilege writ large. Here you have a character who is physically deformed. He is clearly unpleasant and clearly unpleasant to people. You know, in the scene in which he, he runs for mayor, he bites someone's nose off. There's a scene later on in which a, a woman is a supporter and he literally gropes her and feels her up. But due to privilege and power and money, he is able to basically become mayor, mm. almost mayor. And there's a scene in which after they've kind of, as he put it, destroyed the bat, um, he kind of proposes that he really likes her, he can see a future with her, all that kind of stuff. She turns him down, and suddenly he's like, I have like you anyway, and tries to kill her. And I think that there's there's work in, in that dynamic, this relationship, talking about femininity and masculinity and sort of toxic 
nature of some traditional gender roles. Um, and I think that, that, that Catwoman herself particularly is this sort of feminist statement. Um, I'm sure that there'll be people who tell me I'm wrong, but I feel that there's something going on there. Hmm. I do think, actually, that there's... I'm, I'm, I, I agree with you. The, 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 I mean, she is... Her apartment is is sort of a, a totem for um, sort of traditional ideas of femininity, and there are lots and lots of air quotation marks there that are uh, mm. listeners. Um, but I do think that and it's I suppose symbolised by that moment where she smashes two of the letters on her sign and her glowing neon sign, and then you see. Later on, the two that have been smashed turn hello there into hell here. And I thought that that was really... I really enjoyed that. Um, but also, I think there's an extent to which her... I see, see what you're saying, that her sort of... Her identity as Catwoman comes out of her previous identity. It's not a new thing. And... When she came home for the very first time and says, honey, I'm home. Oh, no, I forgot. I'm not married. There is there is something in that which is... It, it's sort of... It's sort of questioning a gender dynamic. It feels, feels some... There's some sort of sardonic level of comment in there. There's something mm. about her saying, honey, I'm home. Oh, I forgot. I'm not married. She she's not. I mean, it's it's understandable. We can see the film that she comes home to her apartment alone, and she is not happy. We know that, but more than that, she knows that she needs to find a way out of this, and the film sees her finding a way out of this. But it's not. It's not like that way out comes from absolutely comes out of the blue. That that way out comes comes from inside of that character. We see it, and we see mm. it in in that sign on her wall that hell here was there all the time, and you know, I mean she, her um, outfit is is sewn together from things she finds in her wardrobe. So the the, the Catwoman identity was within her her clothing all the all the time. So I think there's something about that character, and I, I wrote that I. Mean, I, I haven't thought about the relationship between Celine Carl and the Penguin so much, but I thought about this, how interesting she was as a character. It seems to me she is the pivotal character in this film. And as you say, this seems to be a Batman film where I mean, it really it suffers, if it does suffer, from from Batman just being a non-entity, really. And, and yes. And, it, and I don't mean that as a, as a slight on Michael Keaton at all. It is the way that the character is drawn. He he can do nothing with it. Michael Keaton, brilliant actor, but he can't actually get out of this role that he's been he's been put in. And I think that that character of Cillian Khan is really interesting. It's and it's her that she that calls out the um, the idea of duality, and it's she who gets Batman to reveal himself at the end. Mm. And up until that point, he was he wasn't quite happy with this division between Batman and Bruce Wayne. But he was he, he was 
resolve to be be separate like that and she's she's the character who says now come on we've got to address this duality i agree so sam as is pulling it to a close do you have some recommendations for us yes um firstly is something about the aesthetic of the zoo um this sort of kind of you, you see in the half light and it, it it's sort of ruined and yet sort of not um it just felt a little bit like the New York Zoo in Fantastic Beasts and it reminded me of how much I enjoyed the aesthetic of that film and also how much I enjoyed Eddie Redmayne in it. Now, I'm not always a huge Eddie Redmayne fan. I think this... I think I'm, I'm slowly coming around to, to what I do and don't like about him. I don't like quote-unquote Eddie Redmayne films, films that are all about him. But this is... Fantastic Beasts is not an Eddie Redmayne film. It was a brilliant ensemble cast film, and he happened to be in it, and he happened to be very good in it. So I I really enjoyed the ensemble nature of this film. My second one is is an actor recommendation linked to um, someone that I've spent quite a lot of time talking about today is Christopher Walken um, and it reminded me of the film Catch Me If You Can which I absolutely love um, you've talked about you mentioned heist movies at the, the beginning I, I'm really really attracted to heist movies and also crime on screen as well and there's there's something really engaging about the narrative of this film and Chris Walken's great as the beleaguered father in it also I think this is the first film to sort of mark the movement from DiCaprio as heartthrob to DiCaprio as serious actor it feels like you have things like Gilbert Grape and Buswell Diaries and Titanic in the 90s and then around about 2000 or this is 2002 you have him moving into sort of serious actor territory and I have I have really enjoyed it we'll, we'll pass over the beach um, but I have I have really enjoyed him since then fair enough, fair enough. I would also if you're looking at I, I, I agree that's a good transition point I would also look for his film or his film but the film Celebrity, that he did uh, in 1998, uh, just before the beach, just off Titanic, um, in which he kind of deconstructed his own celebrity following the Titanic oh, right. um, sort of world. Um, it's not a big film that's in, but it, it is a great one in which he kind of starts to transition away from, or at least reveals layers to the pretty boy mm. um, persona up until then. Oh, right. So I've, I've gone in slightly different directions than you have. Um, and as always, my love for the obscure character actor runs deep. Um, and all the way through the film, I'm sitting there, and there's this recurring character in Batman Returns of a newsboy. A newsboy handing out papers and calling out headlines mm. in traditional kind of way. And I'm like, I know you. Where do I know you from? The answer essentially is everything. He's been in everything. Um, but the film of his that I really want to headlight, in which he kind of moved beyond being a character actor and being a bit more of a a main lead uh, was the film I'm sure I mentioned it before the 2011 film All Superheroes Must Die 
Also Heroes Must Die essentially is a brutal, realistic take on the superhero genre in which four superheroes are kidnapped and wake up in a small town and must perform tricks for supervillains um, to keep people alive. It's very grim and gritty and dark and dealing with some of the real world consequences of superheroes and supervillains. And he plays a character called Manpower, one of the superheroes in the uh, in the show. So yeah, he he stepped up from being a character. But uh, Sean Wallen is the character, is the actor's name. Um, and all superiors must die. Hmm. My other recommendation is taking the editor. The editor of um, of Batman Returns is a man by the name he just pulls it up in front of him uh, of Chris Lebeson. Um He's done a lot of uh, Burton films over the years, but I won't hold that against him. Because he also has done the 1985 film Weird Science. I'm a huge John Hughes fan. This is news to absolutely nobody. Um, and Weird Science is one of the best. It needs no introductions. It needs no recommendations. It's Weird Science. Yeah, great. That's it. Where are we moving next, Rob? We're moving on down down the uh, down the rabbit hole, I suppose they may say it. Uh, next week, we are picking up with the next in the Batman franchise, Batman Forever. Right. <laughs> There's a um Oh we're gonna rail so much over the next oh, six weeks. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a my modern family episode where they where Phil and Claire talk about their, their love for um sequel films and things really get good when you have a, a change of change of actors. Um and I think about that when I think about Val Kilmer coming up. Till then, guys, you can find us online on Twitter. We are both there at Pretty Podcast. You can find just me at Life underscore Academic. And just me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you back here next week. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.